On the evening of June 8, 1989, a quiet Vancouver, British Columbia suburb of Richmond was shocked when the body of a young 44-year-old woman was found, bound, strangled, and drugged to death. And though the victim had made over 100 claims of harassment in the previous seven years, not only did the police believe she fabricated those, but they also ruled her death a suicide. How could this be possible? And why could this have happened? You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Cindy James. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement. Somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. The good news is, we got a new Patreon patron. Nice. And her name is Miss Katie Little from Shallot, North Carolina. Thank you, Miss Katie. She joined up for the $10 beer fund. We do appreciate it. North Carolina, what, 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 what? North Carolina, what, 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 what? No? Nobody? Nobody, nobody from the 90s? Nobody. Damn. <laughs> Ain't nobody here. Well, today we are going to do a case that we've already done. <laughs> According to you. This will be the second time we've done this case. I will swear on a Bible. That we did this case before. I don't know what happened. I don't know why I have these memories. I went through and looked at all the notes I had from every opening I've done. And I didn't write that one down, so I must have winged it. But I don't know, man. This is the Mandela effect, brother. We did this one already. So hopefully we're going to do it again. Hopefully do it better this time. (laughs) because <laughs> apparently it was so bad the first time that it, it ceased to exist <laughs> well our lovely lovely people north of the border in canada love us so much that we're number 230 in canada on in history on apple itunes so we're doing a, this will be our third wouldn't it I believe so. I think we've done more than three, but this is definitely we've done three in when like in within British the last Columbia. two months. Yeah, we've done a bunch in British Columbia, and this is in British Columbia. So thank you, Canadians. Which is a beautiful place, Victoria. I've never been to Vancouver, which is where this one's from, but I have been to Victoria, Victoria, British Columbia, and it is amazingly beautiful. And since we're north of the border, the only thing we could get. Was Moosehead Lager. So thank you, Moosehead Lager. You act like this. Oh, he had to settle. Moosehead Lager is awesome. No, it's good. I'm just saying, there's not many Canadian beers we have unless you're going to Blatt. I mean, we got Molson, we got Labatt, we got there's some good stuff down here. Stop playing. Stop Stop putting down these great people. One of the greatest countries of all time. Okay. All right, well, I mean, think about it. We're going if to... You, if you go through Canadian history, if you're in a Canadian history class, it's just like... It's all of 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's nothing like ours. Like, oh, well, we 
we poison Native Americans with smallpox blankets, and then we sent them to the Trail of Tears, and then we did this, and then we did that, and then we had this war, that war, every war, every war, a war, war. And they're like, yeah, hey, we, uh, we helped out in uh, World War Two. Speaking of which, <laughs> did you know that they had a 5 million gallon heist from the Maple Re- Syrup Reserve? I heard something about that. It's crazy, isn't it? That they even have a maple syrup reserve, but that someone would steal five million gallons of maple syrup. Well, they like their fucking pancakes. I guess and so. I promise you, Canadian maple syrup, pure, dark, thick, and rich Canadian maple syrup is amazing. When I was in British Columbia, I did buy some maple, genuine maple syrup. Um, it didn't even make it back to the plane. I was going to say... To the boat, rather, because we was on a cruise. It didn't even make it back. I drank it. (laughs) I I drank it. It was so delicious. I didn't need pancakes. Diabetic coma right there. (laughs) Worth it. (laughs) All right, so we're going to dive into Miss Cindy James. On June 8th, 1989, in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is a suburb of Richmond. Wait, no. Richmond's got to be a suburb of Vancouver. Vancouver's the city. Yeah, in the suburb of Richmond. I've left that off. Yes, in the suburb of Richmond. I mean, come on. I don't know. It's early. It ain't that early. Miss Cindy James, her body was found lying in the yard of an abandoned house. She had been drugged and strangled. Her hands and feet had been tied behind her back in the, depending on what you read, the hogtied manner. And the Royal Canadian Mounted Police believe that she died either by an accident or suicide. Which is, if you just hear that, if if we stopped right there. You'd be like, this is going to be a boring ass case. You're like, this isn't, no, you would think that this is insane. She was found hogtied. Hogtied. With her feet and legs behind her back. And she's also found strangled. And she's fa- and she has a an, a an exceptionally large amount of drugs in her system, and they're going to just call it a suicide. That doesn't make any or sense. or an accident either. Yeah. Now, it, starting in 1982, Cindy ha- would report up to nearly 100 incidents of harassment. Five were violent physical attacks, and. The more these incidences were reported by her, the more the police began to doubt her stories. Now, Cindy's parents, however, never doubted their daughter was being harassed or stalked, and they believe that she was murdered. And her father's name is Otto Hack. And he sadly passed on. He is on the Unsolved Mysteries episode quoting, or Stating, and I quote, the police did not investigate the possibility of homicide, of someone murdering her, but zeroed in on trying to prove that she committed suicide. So this all began with mysterious phone calls four months after Cindy separated from her husband. Her mother, Miss Tilly Hack, stated that she did not recognize the voice. And that Cindy did not recognize the voice. And and Tilly was saying on the episode that, quote, she said it was just a voice. Sometimes it would change the sound and sometimes it was just whispering. 
Sometimes it was just nothing. It was silence. Now, Otto felt for sure that Cindy was not telling them everything she knew. And this is kind of an underlying current in the people that were interviewed in this case. They felt like that Cindy more Cindy knew more than she was divulging, but no one knew why she was trying to keep it close to the best. But, yeah, I mean, she's going to report over a hundred incidents of harassment in seven years. A hundred. Over a hundred. Five of which are going to be violent physical attacks. And it gets to the point where no one is going to believe her. Nobody. And it, and she began telling the Vancouver police about the phone, or yeah, about the phone calls. And then she would state that uh, over the next three months, it got worse to the point where she had heard people outside. There was prowlers outside of her home. Her porch lights were smashed. Her phone lines were cut. And according to her friend, Miss Agnes Woodcock, Cindy said bizarre notes began to appear on her doorsteps. Mm-hmm. Well, like, for example, um, one of them was a small card in the top right corner said, I see you written out with uh, below that a picture of a man, just a man's arm holding a knife to the bottom left. There's going to be a picture of. A woman being strangled, and then the top left, I can't exactly see what it looks like. It looks like someone in a body bag. So she's going to be receiving notes, random notes, with things like uh, things of that nature. Yeah, and Cindy said that, um, Not, I'm sorry, Agnes would state that Cindy had told her many times that whoever it was didn't want to kill her. He wanted to scare her to death. So which is, Agnes... Which is pretty hard to do. Yeah. So Agnes is, stops by to visit Cindy one night, and she she goes up and knocks on the door, and there's no answer. And so she assumes that Cindy's in the bathtub. And she thought that she had heard something. And so she didn't know what she had heard, so she kind of starts to investigate around Cindy's house. And she finds Cindy crouched down with a nylon stocking tied tightly around her neck. And Cindy would tell her that she had gone out to the garage to get a box and someone grabbed her from behind and all she saw were white sneakers. Correct. And she's going to not only um, be strangled by this person, she is going to receive some bruising, some some scratches and, and, and the like. Each time there's a violent confrontation, there are physical injuries involved. Now, Cindy would go to the extent of moving. She painted her car. She changed her last name. She even hired a private investigator named Ozzy Caban or Caban, however you want to, K-A-B-A-N, however you want to pronounce that. We're going to call him Ozzy. Ozzy Osbourne, baby. The police continued to investigate and questioned Cindy several times, and Ozzy states that uh, Cindy wouldn't tell them the entire story. She would be evasive. She would withhold information and simply would not act as a normal victim would act. And that he could see where a police officer would have a lot of problems believing her story. You know, it, and I don't know if it's the if she's reluctant. Is have they threatened? Her, did they threaten her? To, I'm going to harm your family. If you continue, see that's 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 something that I would think of rather than oh this lady's full of shit. Right? No, no, no. That's I'm, where my I'd mind be... went immediately yeah. was that she's being evasive. She's not telling the whole story because she's protecting either a family member or 
I don't from what I could read her her divorce from her husband was not extremely contentious and we'll get into part of that later but I, mean, I think she, they looked at him at the time and he was cleared I mean, of any I mean, involvement. She could even know the person that's doing it and just reluctant to give his name out of fear of retaliation. Right, right. I mean, because in the 80s, a people, stalking case would be hard to prove. Yeah, people know people. And if you accuse him and he does go to jail, maybe his people get after you. Or even worse, you accuse him, and like you just said, it's hard to prove. He beats it, and now he's coming at you even harder. Now, in the Unsolved Mysteries case, Cindy's mother says that she feels like the reason that she was reluctant to tell the whole story was because Cindy had confided in her after one attack that a knife was held to her throat, and she was told, you keep talking, your sister will be next, and then your mother. So just keep quiet and don't say anything. Well, there you go. Now, one night, Ozzy would hear some strange sounds coming over a two-way radio he had given Cindy, and he went straight to her house. And he stated that as he went around the house and checked, the house was locked. He was able to look into the house through a window, and he found Cindy lying there. I took a look at her, and I thought she was dead. So Ozzy kicks in the front door, or I'm sorry, not the front door, but he kicks in the do- a door to get to her. And this is what he states on the unsolved mystery episode quote there was a note that was pinned with a paring knife through her hand i went to the telephone and called 911 and within about two minutes she revived briefly and then they took her to the hospital she told me that she noticed a man coming through the gate the next thing that she remembers is being hit on the side of the head with a piece of wood or something of that nature she then remembered being held down on the floor, and she remembered a needle going into her arm. Now, this is specifically the moment where I rem- I know for a fact that we did this before because I I know I know we talked about this part, and I got pretty heated because how are you going to assume this woman is lying? How are you going to assume that she's making all this shit up when she is found with a paring knife through her hand? Not just through her hand. It was through her hand all the way. It went in what the top came out the bottom and was stuck into the floor with a note in between the knife and her hand. On, on top. So it went through, it was knife, went through note, went through hand, went into the floor. I don't, who, who's going to do that to themselves? And for what purpose? Once we get into the theories, you're going to find, there's no reason for her to do this. Are you, and to put a knife through a, someone's hand perfectly, you have got to use an excessively an excessive amount of force that somebody doing it to themselves would most likely not be able to do the first time you know what i'm saying like we always talk about those hesitation wounds there ain't no hell hesitation wounds there is one wound straight through her hand which is also difficult cuz you've got to you've got to know what you're doing now i'm not saying that she didn't cuz she was a nurse but you could easily strike bone and it not go through. So this was, I still don't see how you do that to yourself. But anyway, 
Now, it, it just, I mean, I, how could you? I don't know. I mean, I. You ain't going to see me stab myself. I don't like that shit. But I mean, picture, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but we're talking about the lady balanced the note on her hand, laid her hand down, stabbed herself one good shot. So forceful that it went through the hand into the whole floor. Yeah, so forceful it went completely through her hand and lodged in the floor. And then she's just going to just lay there. Like, well, mission accomplished. Now I'm going to lay here until somebody finds me. Now, Mr. Neil Hall, who I'm, I'm not buying it at I'm the sorry, time, I'm just not buying it. Was a reporter for the Vancouver Sun, who would later go on to write the definitive book on this case. And from everything that I've read, he can't. He comes across, and I will agree with all his naysayers in the Unsolved Mysteries show. He comes across as a prick, but his book, from what I could read... Now, who's this guy? Oh. Neil Hall. He wrote the book, The Deaths of Cindy James, Suicide or Murder. Now, which one is he on the show? Because it was one that I just wanted to slap the shit out of. He was the one that... I've got it in my notes somewhere. Um, he was the one... Was he's he the one, he's that, the one like, that says the quote, and this is him in the show. It says, quote, there was never a fingerprint from a suspect. There was no independent corroboration. Cindy saw this person, or sometimes she said there were two, sometimes mm, three. Yeah, that guy was a One dude. and a half million dollars. It's been estimated that police spent investigating Cindy's complaints, more than a hundred incidents, and they could never find a suspect. Yeah, he was the one like, eh, and they, they wasted over a million dollars. And he goes uh, on to say, yeah, he goes on to say that they had 24-hour surveillance on her house for days on end with up to 14 officers, but never, when surveillance was on her house, never any any event would happen. As soon as surveillance was taken off, of course, then she'd get another incident that happened. Now, that's how he comes across in the episode. If you read the book, I'm told, and I did a lot of research on his book, and it really is, if you read anything about this and try to research it, his book is where everybody goes. They say that this is the best book ever written on true crime because he just states the facts. And it doesn't go, he does not try to sway you one way or the other. And that he presents all the evidence that people say, well, this has to be a suicide because she could do all this stuff to herself. And then he presents all the evidence that leads you to conclude that it's a murder. And at the end of it, he ends the book by stating, you make your own decision. He does not try to sway your opinion one way or the other. But, ladies and gentlemen, unless you are really, really interested in this and you got lots of money or know somebody that has the book, you're not going to get this for cheap. <laughs> it is $60 used on Amazon. If you want a new paperback copy, now these are paperbacks. If you want a new paperback copy, $630. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know why nobody on the um, uh, nobody on the like web sleuths and then that sitcoms online message board. Nobody knows why these books about her are outrageous. There's another one written by Brian Milgrew named "Who Killed Cindy James: A Woman's Story of Persecution and Terror." It's five hundred and eighty dollars on Amazon, and it's a paperback. That. that I mean, it's crazy. Back to the case. Well, all I'm saying is the the value of something is in the market willing to pay for it. 
Well, I think it was so. You know, you know it what was I'm saying? Like, at the time it was released, it wasn't a well-known case, and so it was like a niche. And so probably the publisher was like, "The hell with this. We're not. I'm not ordering another edition." Yeah, it's the it's the rarity of right. something and the. The, the the demand of it now the willingness of the people that desire it and, yeah. but I just don't think you're ever going to sell a book at that price no I don't even know why you would try no that, that's just Amazon should digitize it and put that shit on Kindle no then you definitely see it go down <laughs> yeah now Cindy's mother would explain away Mr. Neal's comments by stating that whoever was harassing Cindy would have known that the house was under current surveillance and there was police uh, in the area and they would wait because they knew the police couldn't do it forever. And then once they left, then they would continue their harassment. See, that makes perfect sense too. Yeah. But not according to that gentleman. He's like, well, if she was being harassed, she would have been harassed when the police were monitoring. No. I think, yeah. And I, who the, like, yeah. I also think that, and we all know how TV can edit shit. Um, I think they only asked him the questions about it being a suicide. I don't think he was ever given the opportunity to give his opinion on whether it was a murder. Well, it did not. It came across. Yes. Him. Yeah. They said that it did not do him any favors, and mm-hmm. I have to agree with them. Well, I would. I would like to know if what you're saying about. The editing and stuff is true because he definitely does not come across well. No, he doesn't. But they, I mean, everything I read about his book says that that is, it's not like a true crime book where people have agendas trying to say that, in your case, that Mar Murray's living in Canada with a baby. She is. No, that's because he's, that guy's a dumbass. But anyway. Um, she might not be having a baby. She might have a baby, but she, she's in. <laughs> she's in Victoria, British Columbia. She's, she's Cindy James. No. She wasn't even born then, but anyway. She is alive and well. Please, Mora, <laughs> let us be the one to show you, to bring you out into the light. All right. Cindy was found dazed and semi-conscious lying in a ditch six miles from her home. She was wearing a man's work boots, glove, and suffering from hypothermia. Cuts and bruises covered her body. A black nylon stocking had been tightly tied around her neck, and she had no memory of what had happened. And this one, she's going to have bruises. Like, she's going to have a black eye, pretty, pretty hardcore injuries after this incident. Now, Cindy, after the, yeah, after this incident, Cindy would ask her neighbors, Tom and Agnes, to start spending the night at their house. Mm -hmm. And on one occasion, she woke them up and she had come running to the door and said, Tom, I heard a noise downstairs. And Tom said, I heard it too. It was like a loud thump. So they, all go downstairs to investigate it, and Agnes runs to the phone to call it in, and the phone's dead. So they go outside, and they get a neighbor to call the fire department. Yeah, because they discover that the noise that they had heard was something being ignited in the basement. They're going to find the basement completely engulfed in flames. And so... When Tom and Cindy go outside, they notice a man standing on the curb, and Tom asks him what he's doing there, and he takes off running. Mm-hmm. Now, police, again, would suspect that Cindy staged this whole thing. And this is, again, out of the Unsolved Mysteries, they dust for, or they dusted for fingerprints, um, 
could not find any on the windowsill. And uh, somebody had set the fire from inside the home and would have had to climb through a window. Like, oh, God, that couldn't have possibly ever happened. It must have been fake. She must have done it herself. Right. Um, they don't take in consideration he was wearing gloves or the attack. I guess we'll just say the attacker was uh, wearing gloves. Um, now, and this gets into how paranoid I think Cindy became. Cindy would begin walking her dog at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And this is where, in the episode, uh, Mr. Neal comes across as a big prick because he states, now, if somebody was being attacked, why would they go out alone walking their dog three o'clock in the morning? Does that make sense? Does that make sense to you? Well, and so, yeah, he he totally looks like a prick in that. It do, he does come off as a prick, and then, but to me, yeah, it might kind of make sense if you're trying to change up your patterns, change up your actions, change like confuse the person that's been stalking you because that's what they do if they 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 follow you once they know your pattern it makes it easier for them especially then because there's no cell phone there's no way to track her yes he he definitely comes off as a prick yeah in, in that that instance now cindy's psychotherapist dr alan Connolly would basically commit her to a hospital for 10 weeks. And he's, he's going to believe her. Though. Yeah, he says, quote, I think one of the things that she finds most difficult was that people didn't believe her. She was always doubted. She knew she was doubted, and that was slowly driving her crazy. Yes. The fact that she was not believed is slowly driving her cuckoo for Cocoa Yeah, Puffs. that's why he's going to institutionalize her, not because he doesn't believe her and he thinks she's making it all up. He's going to have her institutionalized because she can't accept. She's having difficulty accepting the fact that nobody believes her. And that would drive me crazy, too. If if I'm being stalked and I'm being harassed, I'm being physically attacked to the point where I have to go to the hospital. And when I'm pleading to the police to help me and they don't believe me at all. It was the one-armed man. Yeah. I can easily see somebody losing their shit. Yeah. Now, when Cindy leaves the hospital, she finally admits to her father that, she, and her other family and friends that she knows more than she has been saying. And she tells her father for the first time that uh, she knows who the perpetrator is. And in her own words, if the police can't solve this, then I'll solve it for them. Hmm. And so on May 25th, 1989, six years and seven months after the first threatening phone call, Cindy disappears. On the same day, her car was found in a neighborhood parking lot. Inside were groceries and a wrapped gift. There was blood on the driver's side door handle. And items from Cindy's wallet were under the car. Two weeks later, her body is found out in front of the abandoned house. And it's going to be found in a manner that would, would lead you to believe that it, not, it had not been there the entire time. It was badly decomposed, and there was a homeless man living in a van, not down by the river, mm -hmm. but in very close proximity to this, who would get out and walk, and he would tell police that that body was not there as long as the coroner states that it had been exposed. Yeah. I want to say the coroner said that it was exposed for 
10 days to two weeks, something like that. Yeah. And this man is adamant saying that body was not there yesterday, much less for 10 days. Yeah. And her, like we stated in the opening, um, she was, it appeared she had been brutally murdered with her hands and feet bound together behind her back. There was another black stocking tied around her neck very tightly. But the autopsy would reveal that she actually died from an overdose of morphine and other drugs. And this is where police have their suicide angle and they run with it. And according to her father, there's no way that anyone could ingest that amount of drugs and then tie themselves up. There was absolutely nothing at the crime scene to indicate that she had used any form of syringe and she had used or she had used any drinking device or anything of that nature. And, and what? Uh, the gentleman that what was it? Neil Hall. Yeah. He's going to state that it clearly was suicide because she had plenty of time to take the drugs and then tie herself up. Now, they can't prove how the drugs were ingested. They don't know if it was swallowed, injected, or anything like that. They didn't find an injection site. That doesn't mean there's not one. But he said that they recreated the scenario, and they, were, they assumed, under the circumstances, she would have about 15 minutes to accomplish tying herself up. And they recreated it, and the man was able to do it in about five to six minutes. But here's the thing. If, How long did the man practice? Well, true. But if, because they can't prove how she ingested them, if she took those drugs intravenously, she would have less than a minute before she's gone. And anybody that's ever been on a morphine drip will tell you, once you pop that baby up to as high as it'll go, yeah, you start feeling it pretty quickly yeah um but he, but the amount of drugs that were found in her system she would have passed out less than a minute if it was injected into her so if they were injected there's no way she was able to tie herself up i don't know how you how i don't even know how you hog tie yourself anyway much less once you've ingested drugs even if they haven't kicked in or not. I mean, but if they've started kicking in. It's going to be extremely difficult. Even if you've swallowed them. Yeah. You, they're start, you're starting to feel really good and loopy. I don't think you're going to be able to do it. No. Now, actually, the coroner in Vancouver did not rule um, that it was a suicide or an accident or even a murder. They put that it, she died of an unknown event. And it would go as far as, I guess, in Canadian law, they can... You can petition the court to have the uh, death certificate changed, and I don't know who it is, but they it's basically a trial where both sides present their evidence, and they never, no one presented enough evidence to change the coroner's report from unknown event. Um, however, Cindy's family believes that someone somewhere in Vancouver has gotten away with murder. Now, some background on... Um, Cindy and her family and this took a lot so this is not my opinion I'm just stating the facts so direct all your hate mail to uh, the coach at mysteriousbrews.com man I don't even check that email <laughs> <laughs> now according to my research um, 
Cindy may have had some daddy issues, and uh, even though her parents loved her a lot, they state that her dad, Otto, was extremely controlling, and they had a very odd relationship. Uh, She would imply that he had been abusive and was harsh in her childhood, and it kind of blends into her overall relationship with men. Um, She didn't have many long, healthy relationships with men. She wanted to go and study at one of the universities, but her dad did not want her to go. He seemed to think women should serve instead of uh, blaze their own path. Um, He was, and up until the day he died, hell-bent on trying to clear Cindy's name. But... I don't know if it was more, according to this person that I had found the research that did this, they stated that they felt like Otto wanted to clear her name because of his Christian beliefs didn't allow for suicide as an acceptable manner of death to allow one into heaven. And that's what he was trying to do is to clear her name that so that I guess he felt on his conscience that she didn't commit suicide so that he knew that she was in heaven. Um... Otto would go on to testify about Cindy as a young girl when they had the inquest into her death. Her sisters both suddenly got up and left the courtroom. When asked why, they would only say it was personal. As we have discussed in a lot of other cases, um, it can, your, when your life's under a microscope, it can be the way you parent, the way that you discipline people can be open to, I guess, how one thinks one should be raised and parented. Hmm. But anyway, now, Cindy did not take the separation from her husband well. Her uh, husband was named Roy Makepeace, and he was six years, well, I'm sorry, he was only six years younger than her dad. Uh, which was a significant age difference between Cindy and Roy. Um, That kind of leads to the, she's trying to find someone to replace her father in her life. And then um, Cindy had been dating. And according to certain things that you read, that she was possibly engaged to a doctor prior to meeting her husband, Roy. But that man was killed in a car accident. It sounded like, you know, she may have had some trauma there. And then she meets Roy, who kind of fills the void of her father and giving fatherly advice. Um, they said that the both would state that their marriage was pretty good overall. But like most couples, they had their disagreements. Uh, Roy loved to sell. Sydney or Sin, Sydney. Cindy did not. She had an extreme fear of the water and drowning And after they were separated, they remained close and actually went out together a lot and actually went on a double date. And we'll get into that in a second. But uh, she did have a uh, love-hate relationship with Roy. She felt like she had um, been abandoned by him. And then supposedly under hypnosis, she had a, quote, memory recall of an event on an island while sailing with her husband. She remembered that she walked in on him and there were two dead bodies and a whole lot of blood. 
This became a recurring theme for her, although there was never any corroborating evidence of the story. Cindy even confronted Roy about this on the phone while the line was being recorded, but he gave no indication that it was true or that he was lying. So there's that little nugget. Oh, wow. Now, after leaving Roy, she dated a few men, but never anything long-term. She had been dating a cop named Pat McBride. He had actually proposed to her, and she turned him down, and within a couple of weeks, he left and decided that he wasn't going to waste his time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is where Pat and Cindy would go on a double date with Roy and his new fiance, and they would not do this once. They would do this several times. So anyone looking at the husband as an angle, that's not doesn't appear on the surface that there was any hard feelings between the two. Um, they get into her intelligence, which I think is kind of a little demeaning. Um, and the only reason I say that is she she was a very smart person. She obviously was smart enough to become a nurse. Um, she was very book smart. She was um, certainly headstrong and... I don't think there's anything gained from looking into her intelligence because it's going to ultimately lead you that she was committed for 10 weeks, but she wasn't committed because her doctor thought she was crazy. She was committed because he felt she was going to do something unsafe, trying to prove to the cops that she was being stalked. Now this did cause this whole stalking and harassment did cause Cindy to have PTSD, and some have claimed that she may have had suppressed PTSD due to a physical or sexual abuse or a horrible scene that she witnessed as a young child. She did have frequent nightmares and did not get regular sleep, which are telltale signs of PTSD. However, it's also telltale signs of someone that works odd hours as a nurse. So, who knows? There could be something there. There couldn't be. Just depends. Again, this this case, and we, you know, how if we think you dropped the ball, then we're going to say you dropped the ball. And I believe that the Vancouver police dropped the ball on this one. I'm fairly sure they did because I just, I don't know, man. I just can't see how you just. I feel like, I'm not saying they need a whole task force to try to make this lady's story credible. I'm just saying, if they had really dived into this from the very beginning, because I think it took them something like, what, years. I'm going to say anywhere from three to four years to really start looking into it. Well, yeah, she's going to experience it for seven years. I mean, so and yeah, I don't it's going to take quite a long time for them to get involved. Yeah, I don't think they really start staking her place out for a couple of years. If they had done more to kind of help her out, I feel like that either A, they would have gotten some more information that led them to, yes, she is being stalked, or they may have even actually caught the perpetrator. But anyway, um, Cindy kept a journal for several months and these journal writings are detailed in that book that we referenced by Mr. Neil Hall and I'm not paying the money or we would read them to you but from (laughs) what I could from what I could gather 
she did have trust issues with people. She did not want to open up to strangers. Um, she was kind of naive in the fact that she did not believe people had ulterior motives when they dealt with her. Um, some days she slept better and felt great. Then there was days in her journals that she wrote that she's barely holding on. Um, she did definitely put in there that she had several suicide thoughts in her time in her life at times, but that doesn't mean that she wanted to die. It just means that she was very troubled about a lot of things. I think you get a better understanding of her mental state if you are if you can read those journals. But again, let us know. You pay sixty bucks for it, scan it, we'll send it to us, we'll read it. <laughs> That's about the only way it's gonna happen. That's right. Now we get into the abduction slash death scene and the fact that this makes zero sense. Cindy went to the bank, yet parked in the middle of the lot, not near the door or a tree, which they said she had become very adept at parking where her distance from the car to a building was very short. There were groceries in the front seat, yet none of the items were perishable. There was no receipt. Police couldn't match the items she had with a cash register receipt from the store. Witnesses remember seeing someone matching Cindy's description in the parking lot, but she did not appear in distress. Her bank card was found, I'm sorry, her bank card was found under her car with a paper bank receipt found under the card so it wouldn't blow away. That's some pretty high odds of a receipt falling down and then a card falling on top of it. Yeah, that's, not saying it's not impossible. Well, I'm saying, yeah, that seems staged. Yeah, that seems a little staged to me. But now, it she, doesn't mean she did it, right? When she was found two weeks later, basically one and a half kilometers or a little bit over a mile from her quote abduction site, next to a really busy, well-traveled road, there were many signs that she may have been moved to this site and not been there the entire time. Yet there are no signs of anyone other than her body. She did have a significant amount of drugs in her system that could have been ingested or injected. The coroner found traces of pills in her stomach, so it's likely she had ingested at least some of them. This would make the murder theory more likely. The knots, however, could have been done by Cindy... She was found without shoes, and none were found near her, yet her feet appeared to be clean. So that would also lead you to believe that she was placed there. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to walk across anything barefooted in Canada and not leave some trace on your feet. Absolutely. Now, we get into the fact that Cindy was withholding information, and we've kind of danced around this, but yeah, she was, because... She had supposedly had a knife held to her neck, and her sister and her mother had been threatened. So, yes, she's going to be real vague with police because she does not want her mom and sister to be next. Even even more than that, I mean, it's possible that she did know who it was. It's possible that she did know why this was happening. She could have been involved in something nefarious. She could have been... There, there's many, many reasons why she would have been holding information close to the vest, but it doesn't mean it's made up. 
Now, Neil Hall would go on to state in his book that the black stocking has some kind of meaning because every time that she was physically attacked, she was always found with a black nylon stocking tied tightly around her neck. Now, Cindy did own a pair of black stockings, a pair. So she's not going to continually tie those around her neck. It's not going to be the same. Yeah. It was the right one every time. Every time. (laughs) Now, uh, there is a case that is very similar to this one that actually happened in the U.S. where a red bandana kept showing up. I did not chase that rabbit. If you want to, you go right ahead. I I would not assume those would be related. No. Um, the black stocking, some believe, are tied to something in her past. And that could have been something, kind of the way they spun this was that maybe that's what she was wearing at the time, that she kind of dismissed a suitor. That's a great uh, a great assumption. Right and that that was the suitor's way of kind of saying, hey, remember, yeah. remember bitch. Yeah. You know. So that's that. I found that very, very interesting. That's an, that's an actual angle that's kind of plausible. But again, if we have a police department that had jumped on this at the very beginning, and I know it was in the early eighties, and in despite how we believe today in the early eighties, they did not put a whole lot into stalking and restraining orders and the laws that we have in place now. That if you violate a temporary restraining order. They'll put your ass in jail. Yeah, oh yeah. Back then, that was just a piece of paper. They didn't yeah. give a shit. Well, I mean, that may be an overstatement, but I think you think you're onto something. They're not going to take it as seriously as they should have. No, they didn't. And I think if they had, and they may have found that she's been attacked three or four times and she's constantly having this black stocking, and then they kind of go into her background, where have you worked kind of deal. I think, I'm not saying they would have solved it, but I think you would have gotten a lot more information. And I just don't, I don't see how they even, like, start to believe that this is something she's making up. I mean, again, I know when she's questioned by the police, she's kind of evasive and she's not completely forthcoming. And she does seem that she's hiding something. But I don't know how you make the leap from, okay, she's hiding something to, okay, this is complete bullshit and she's making it up. I just don't know how you make that jump. But they do. They jump. They cannonball into that theory. Yeah. They stop even considering the possibility that someone could, someone else could be doing this. Now, the one there's one theory out there that states that um, she was suffering from some type of mental illness, and it was either PTSD. She was she either had multiple multiple personality syndrome, or disassociative, yeah, disassociative personality syndrome, schizophrenia, something. But basically. She had this mental illness that could never be fully resolved. Whether this led her to believe that things were happening that weren't, or if someone knew about this mental illness and did just enough to push her over the edge, I just find it really sad that she felt like she could never get the help she needed and no one believed her. Um, Now, I don't know, it... If it, I'm not saying it is suicide, but people that go on to the suicide thought that actually just don't dismiss it and go, oh, she killed herself, but actually put some thought behind it, state that it might have been one of those, if she did suffer from multiple personality syndrome, 
that she would snap when she got scared and feel like that she had to do something to save herself. And it was one of those, a suicide by putting yourself into a a dangerous situation. I don't believe that, but that is a theory out there. But, you know, there's two conclusions, basically. Either someone devoted a lot of time into taunting and attacking her and leaving her near death many times to eventually kill her, or they did just enough to push her over the edge to where she committed suicide. I don't believe the committed suicide part of it, but... Well, my question would be if, you know, once the police stop believing her, and she knows they don't believe her, but they but it still keeps happening. So if she knew... If she knew she was making all this up, and now, oh, well, they're not believing me anymore. Why keep doing it? Just to try to prove them wrong, try to make them look like fools. I would give up. But, I mean, she's literally physically harm. If she's doing it herself, she is physically harming herself to the point where she is in the hospital. She is stabbing herself through her hand. See, and I- she is hitting herself in the head with blunt objects. She's getting abrasions. She's getting scratches. She's getting bruises. She's getting all these things that are putting her in a hospital. I think, and hear me out before you absolutely lose your mind. (laughs) I think this is a combination of both. She's doing things to herself and she's having stuff done to her. And the reason I said hear me out is I really truly believe Someone was stalking her and someone was harassing her. I feel like that once she goes to police, because there wasn't but what, it was less than seven physical attacks, isn't that right? It was five. Five physical attacks. Five physical attacks. Okay, so I think after the first two physical attacks, when she realizes that the cops are not paying attention to her and they think she's batshit crazy, I think she starts doing little things to try to get the cops on the trail again. So they because they would state that there would be many months that nothing happened and all of a sudden it was a flurry. Mm-hmm. I honestly think that she may have done little things. I don't think she's going to set her house on fire on purpose just to get someone to come over there and and do there, this. There was a witness. Yeah, they there were upstairs. Some, there was someone there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, I'm saying not just the witness, but there was someone there at the curb. Yeah, at the curb that got questioned and fled. There, that's a that's a that's a human being that was there and fled the scene. Why would you flee the scene if you're just like... The things that I go to that prove that I don't think it's her is how many times were her phone lines cut? How many notes? Those notes, if you, and we'll post a picture of them. That's not something you can throw together in 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's somebody very anally cutting those letters mm-hmm. out and pasting those to cardboard. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't stop interacting with her ex-husband so i believe that he has nothing to do with it she didn't lose her job um i think what it is and this is nothing that this is totally my opinion but i read this one message online and it says that you would have to really hate someone to devote that much time and that many years of your life to harass them Mm -hmm. that's true too hell hath no fury like a woman scorned and if you think about it this is a long play. What if Cindy didn't know that she had a male find her attractive who was married? 
And yeah. she's totally oblivious. Like it said, her father and some of her friends were like, she was very naive. She doesn't, she doesn't see the, the bad in some people. Yeah. What if she had, she had been flirted with and the guy kind of, she blew it off and didn't know it. The guy took it serious to the point where his significant other found something. And this lady felt like, say she got divorced, her and her husband got divorced. This lady blamed Cindy. Mm. And so now mm. she's in for the long haul. I'm going to fuck your life up, bitch. I'm not going to kill you. Not yet. Yeah. But I'm going to make your life a living hell. And so that lead, because as a man, eventually, fuck it, I'm done. Yeah, I've had my fun. I'm not, but a woman. Yeah, and and I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm not being. You are, but you're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not being misogynistic. I mean, but a woman. (laughs) I mean, to this day, there was someone that spoke ill of me when I first started coaching football as a lowly assistant receivers coach. Yeah, and my wife still sees them from time to time and tells me every time I'm going to run that bitch in the dirt. And I'm like, baby, that was 25 years ago. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) No. She crossed the line. That's right. She talked about my baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. I mean, I I could see my wife holding grudges like that. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying that's more. Women are more passionate about things than men are. Men are just going to be like, fuck it, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, well. She got the police involved. I'm done. Yeah. Like, there's cops out there. I'm not doing this anymore. So, I I don't know. Um, There is and has been, unless they're keeping it close to the vest, there's never been a suspect. Ever. No. Um, But, I mean, it is true. There there was was never, not one instance was there physical evidence of another of another person other now, than the sighting at the fire but I'm talking about physical evidence right uh force break-ins fingerprints fingerprints shoe prints, that shoe kind of prints yeah. nothing Mm-mm. so we're going to dive into the other side of the argument that she did this to herself and oh, this I, just, I know I just, I just don't uh, this is what people point to that say this and I agree with you I don't think this is true but according to them the fact that she was very evasive would lead people to believe, and even her PI to believe, that she would not confide in anybody to let them know why she was being stalked or who was stalking her. Um, even though she stated that she had a needle going to her arm several times when she was attacked, they never found any drugs in her system when she was at the hospital. But the hospital did prescribe her Valium for therapeutic levels. Uh, there was nothing ever found in a talk screen saying that she had been drugged when she got to the hospital. Um, they, the doctors and detectives would state that she had sudden changes in her behavior. She would appear dazed and semi-conscious, but short minutes later, she would be sitting up, talking, answering questions normally. One doctor described her behavior as childlike, and I'll stop right there for a second. If their behavior is childlike, that leads more to that disassociative personality disorder Mm -hmm. you know we kind of touched on the husband but there's nothing really there to tie him to anything um so and i think he died not long after she passed away i'm not i'm not sure um even though this is them again even though cindy lived in constant fear neighbors and friends reported that cindy would work in the yard or the garden into dusk and sometimes after dark it was also confirmed that she would walk her dog at 3 a.m in the morning 
several attacks. She reported two or three people being involved. And this would lead to some people believing a conspiracy, but Cindy could never provide reliable descriptions of her attacker or attackers. Um, she would report that uh, two unknown men in a van stalked her one day at a local park. Uh, there were no witnesses there to confirm the presence of the men or the van. Police would stake her home out for several occasions, do random patrols and spot checks, and never saw anything suspicious in the area. Again, you can use your own common sense there. I mean, if you see a cop car coming, you're going to stop doing what the fuck you're doing, oh, yeah, especially absolutely. if it's dark. Yeah, absolutely. Now, they, Cindy reported her porch lights being smashed and sometimes unscrewed. She would report bangs and thumps at night, felt that someone was prowling around her home. When police would show up, they couldn't find any fingerprints or shoe tracks like we stated. Uh, I'm just trying to give the high points because some of this is ridiculous. Okay, this one is, this one's a doozy. The Unsolved Mystery segment describes the fire that was set at Cindy's home. This was the night her friends were staying over. This was also the night Cindy reported that she was out walking her dog at 3 a.m. The investigation concluded there were no forced entry found at the home at any entry points, windows, or doors. The arson investigation found that there were six different spots in the basements where an accelerant was used. They even went so far as to attempt to recreate the scene as if an unknown person set the fire from from the outside through the window. They found it impossible and concluded there was no doubt the fire was set from the inside of the home. Cindy was polygraphed and it came back inconclusive. Again, we don't put a whole lot of stock in polygraph tests. I I certainly don't. Um, She was treated twice by a psychiatric hospital and you know, had a 10-week stay. She was put on antipsychotic medication. Uh, Her doctors and psychiatrists all believe that she had some sort of mental illness, but doesn't know what it, could not significantly say what it was. Um, There is a tape recorder voice of her, quote, attacker, and I've not heard it, but the Trail Went Cold podcast supposedly has it on there. Really? And it says that it sounds like a woman attempting to describe or disguise her voice by making it deeper. Um, There were three or four detectives that worked on this case, and they all came to the same conclusion that there was nothing there. Uh, They say the criminal, if she was being attacked, was the luckiest that because they never left any evidence. Um... People say, how could they, people say, how could she have done this to herself? Some people with mental illness harm themselves all the time, cutting, plucking, or pulling out the hair, cigarette burns, etc. I think it's important to remember that during the time those who suffered from mental illness were shunned or even embarrassed to seek or receive treatment. I still don't see that as a way that it proves that she's done any of this to herself. Um... Well, I mean, the fact that there were, what, four detectives that independently looked into this and all four decided that this there was nothing to this, that's, there's got to be something we're not seeing. Yeah. There's got to be something that they've seen that we didn't see. Now, we get into how she could have tied herself up. And these are just some different things that are supposedly true. We don't I couldn't find the case file, so nobody knows. But supposedly the knots that she, when they found her body, the knots were not tight. Not tight enough to keep her from moving. 
So maybe, that maybe leads. She wiggled them free. Well, yeah, that's what I. That's, that's what I thought. They say that this is a uh, point that it's certainly possible for Cindy to have done the nuts. Nuts. She done the nuts herself to have tied the knots herself. Now, depending on how the drugs got into her system, would determine how long it would take into effect. Like we said, if she took them orally, you've got 15 to 30 minutes. I saw as even as long as 60 minutes for them to get you to where you couldn't have use of your faculties. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if she if it was intravenously, you less than 60 seconds, you're not you're not tying any knots. No, you, you're not doing anything. Mm-mm. Um, the scene of her abduction does not make sense from an abduction point. It looks very staged, um, which we said that it does look staged, but it, I don't think it looks staged that points to her doing it herself. Um, I keep going back. The fact that we've got, there's no, an eyewitness stating that there's no way that that body could have been there that long. Well, and there's no, and we also have physical evidence. There's no tracks of her walking herself in there to tie the knots there's no tracks of anyone anyone right that's what i keep going back to um the pathologist sheila carlisle testified in the inquiry because of the state of the decomposition of the body it was difficult to determine whether the overdose of morphine and florazepam had been administered orally or by injection florazepam was ingested orally she believes since those tablets were found in the contents of cindy's stomach she also believed it was likely that the morphine was ingested the needle mark was probably a blood collection site rather than evidence of an injection i thought they just said that it wasn't yeah they contradicted themselves yeah and then they also say that she could have withdrew some of her own blood and squirted it onto the car door handle but the blood out on the car was tested and found that it was the same group type as Cindy's. But that doesn't out. That only says that it's the same blood type. Well, hell, there could be twenty thousand people in the vicinity that have the same blood type. This was in the late '80s, so we don't have the DNA. We're doing good to get blood types. Um, Constable Jerry Anderson testified that he had spoken with Cindy's psychiatrist, Dr. Friesen, and Friesen had told him that the, quote, patient was fixated on her ex-husband and had pent-up anger towards her father. He also stated that, quote, two weeks before her disappearance, Cindy was in good spirits. He indicated that his, his experience with suicides, happy behavior indicates a person has a set course of action to carry out a suicide. He also noticed or noted Cindy's friends and colleagues were leaving her in mass, which led her to feel abandoned. Uh, Constable Anderson goes on to state that he had listened to the message on uh, Cindy's answering machine, and he believes that it was Cindy trying to disguise her voice. They send this to the FBI office in D.C., and a specialist in psycholinguistics in New York concluded that there were similarities in the voice on the tape and Cindy's, but he was unable to conclusively state it was hers. So, you know, this is a split case, basically 50-50. They did call a not expert in the inquiry, death inquiry, and his name was Robert Chisnell. And I just want to go on a little tangent here. Can you, if he's a not expert, how proud is of him as his parents. I mean, <laughs> hey, what's Robert doing these days? Oh, he's a, he's not expert. 
He got his degree in knots. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's just a really good Boy Scout, man. You don't know. <laughs> anyway, he, Mr. Roberts is now testifies and explains the knots, the type of knots these were and the ligatures that were found on her. He states that the knots were that were found on Cindy's hands and feet were a slip loop, and a slip loop requires no great skill to tie. It is a common fishing knot and used to tie fishing lures and fishing hooks. Basically, a, a slip knot, not a slip hook. But anyway, he stated that the knots were then used to form a, quote, box arrangement. The box arrangement, arrangement is exactly as it sounds. It's in, its formation is common to secure birthday presents Christmas presents, cake boxes, etc., can be formed using twine, ribbon, rope, etc. He also testified that the, quote, stockings that were used to form slip loop knots around her wrists and ankles were loose enough to be slipped off, but like Coach stated, that could have been from her struggling to get free. He then demonstrated all of this in front of the jury, and the jury actually stood to watch the demonstration. Using the same measurements found on the ligature or knots, he first began by tying the stockings around his neck. He then tied the slip knots and slid his arms and hands into the loops to complete the formation. To complete the demonstration, he laid on the floor with his arms and legs behind his back and the ligature still around his neck. The entire process took him less than three minutes. He also stated that the measurements of his own neck were larger than Cindy's. The ligature measurement was the same as the ligature found on Sydney. It is. It did not, quote, impede his breathing. He was still able to communicate, breathe during the demonstration. So, this is a very odd, odd case. No. Okay, so we get into, I wanted to, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to touch on the last two things were um, her husband, um, and it was in July of 82 when they separated. And three months after that's when the phone calls supposedly began. Um, he, his name, again, is Roy Makepeace. He was not very psychotic. He was a little eccentric, but that, other than that, that was it. Um, a lot of people look at the timing of their separation and say that he could have been responsible for the harassment, but that is not true. Um, she invited him to spend Christmas with her and her family the December after they separated. She never believed he was behind the harassment. Um, I think she knew the person. I, I think she knew. I don't think it was him, but I do think that she truly knew who the person was. I do too, because like we've stated, you've basically got, I don't know, for the lack of a better term, you've got a squatter cooking his meals three, you know, in a van, roughly what? Five to ten yards from yeah, where they found her. where they found her. So you're going to tell me that this homeless man's not going to see a white woman tied up fifteen yards away from her or from him? Yeah. Um, they even said that a lot of people used that house to party at, and that kids would go up and beat on the van when the homeless guy was sleeping. So she's missing for. 10 to 14 days, and no one saw her? I just don't, I don't know. And, th and then you go to the point, the amount of morphine and flurazepam that was in her system, I know that it's, it doesn't start taking in 
for 15 minutes, but I just don't see that. I mean, I know that's a lot of time, but how did she get there? There's no footprints leading of her or anyone's to that dump site. And then you can't say that she committed suicide and just laid down there or rolled over there because her body was in such a, a huge state of decomp. I don't know. I, um, so what you're trying to say is this is a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> Son of a gun. Somebody should do a show about it. All right. There are a couple of questions that were answered, and I wanted to go over those, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Um, the question was posed, did she ever suggest she had an idea who it might be? Yes and no. She refused to believe that her ex-husband and was behind it until they state that the police pretty much browbeat her into accusing him about a year before she died. Um, there's really not any evidence of that out there, but they tried to get her, the police tried to get her to uh, record him on a phone call getting him to confess but that never happened um she did have that thing that stated to her father that she, if she couldn't if the police wasn't going to prove it she would so mm, that's kind of up in there was there any suspects jealous boyfriend childhood bullies yada 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 no childhood bullies were ever found no jealous boyfriends were ever found um the only person that she was ever seen with after her marriage was the the police officer Pat McBride. He ended it when she turned down his marriage proposal, and it wasn't long after that that he met another woman and got married to her. So that kind of rules out anybody in in those three or four categories. Um, other possible suspects: the family could only suggest that it might be a disturbed ex-patient from her first couple of years of nursing or a parent of one of the preschoolers at the Blenheim house where she worked for about 17 years. Uh, did she travel? Was she, or when she was in another country or location, was she harassed? She did travel often. She had a big family, two sisters, three brothers, and they were kind of spread across Western Canada. There were Christmas trips, a family reunion, and her younger sister Melanie's wedding. She also traveled out of the country numerous times. Her brother, Roger, worked for Canada's External Affairs Department, and she took a two-week trip to visit him in Jakarta, Indonesia, on one of those occasions. There was also a three-week Christmas stay with Roger when he started working for the Canadian High Commissioner's Office in Germany, and there were a couple of more trips she took to Germany to visit Roger again over the next couple of years. No harassment happened on these trips. She enjoyed them and felt free of constantly looking over her shoulder. She would always return from the trips feeling relaxed and refreshed. Did Cindy own a gun? She never owned a gun, and the books never said that she owned a gun. But we all know that you can get a gun and it not be documented. She never carried a knife. She never carried mace. Um, she was never encouraged to take self-defense classes, which I found was very odd especially when that was all the rage in the 80s. Yeah I, I, yeah, I don't understand why she didn't at least carry some sort of weapon. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Uh, was there ever any people living in her home before and after Cindy, and did they report any strange events? And according to the intrawebs, there has not been anybody report anything. A young couple lived in the basement of her house, that was temporarily rented to them. On one occasion, they heard someone walking around upstairs a couple of hours after 
the person had left for work. It disturbed them to the point that they called police, um, and the police found nothing. So take that for what you want. Um, did she have any life insurance, or did anyone, or could anyone collect on it? And again, there's no history out there of her having life insurance policies with someone as a beneficiary. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we got there. So, our I think we've kind of out, outlined our uh, theories. My theory is this. Somebody fucked with her hard. Yeah. She did not do this to herself, man. She just didn't. You're not going to stab yourself through the hand completely. Well, and you're not going I, I you're not going to keep it up for 7 years straight. I'll what, give them. What attention could you have possibly been getting? That's what I'm saying. I go back to she if she was that attention hungry, yeah. she would have lost her job. She yeah. never lost her job. This never yeah. flew or flowed yeah. over into her work life. All right, I'll give if, if it was just simply for attention. Yeah. Let's say if it was. Once people stopped believing her, don't you think she probably would have switched um, strategies? You would think. Oh, guess what, guys? I got cancer now. <laughs> I mean, I'm being serious. No, I like, agree with you. Why would she keep up this charade for seven fucking years if there was nothing to it? Could it, I mean, I will if give, she was sane. I will give if the, she was yeah, sane. That's true. I will give the naysayers the stabbing of the hand, even though I don't want to. My whole thing with this whole case is the fact there are or there is zero evidence of how her body came to rest where it was found. No footprints, no drag marks, no roll marks, no nothing. There's nothing. It's like she was for a better place there from above. And then you look at the fact that that's a well-traveled hangout spot. If kids are partying at that house... And they find a dead body, they're not coming back. Yeah. No. The homeless guy, if he looks out his van and he sees a dead body, he's moving that van. Yeah. Because he don't want that heat. He'll push it away. Right. Yeah, yeah he definitely don't he want don't that. He don't want that heat. Because no, he's yeah. squatting. Yeah, he's squatting. He's not where he's supposed to be. And he's going to be a suspect. Yeah, automatically. For sure. So that's mine. I, I think she was harassed to the point, and I go back on my previous theory, this was a woman that was scorned by Cindy, I believe, inadvertently unbeknownst to Cindy, and they just finally had killed her. Well, just like I said the last time we recorded this, (laughs) I'm I'm agreeing with you. Somebody did this to her. But what I'm going to change is, you say unbeknownst to her, I think she personally knew the person. I think she was involved in something that she couldn't speak publicly of. I think she knew the person by name. That's how much I think she knew him. Yeah, I I would agree. You can't agree. You just said it was unbeknownst to her. I agree with your theory (laughs) that she would have known them. My theory is it was a woman. I agree. Yeah, but you said it was... Shut the fuck (laughs) up and keep going. You're, you're contradicting yourself, man. But that's my theory. I think that she was well aware of who it was. She was deathly afraid to speak 
about why it was going on because I think she was involved in something bad. Like, I think she was involved in something that could have possibly got her in trouble or possibly got her family to... Why is it always the mafia with you, man? It's why not is it the, always the fucking mafia. mafia. Okay, why is it, it the drug cartel? It could have been drugs. I swear to God. It could have been Every prostitution. Every day we go through this. It could have been anything. Pyramid scheme? It could have been. Amway? Yeah, she could have been doing selling Amway (laughs) and got a little too involved. (laughs) She's selling Girl Scout cookies, counterfeit Girl Scout cookies, and, you know. (laughs) I about spit everywhere. (laughs) You know, instead of selling dosy dose, she's selling dosy tros, and people got wind of it, and the Girl Scouts came and snuffed her out. You don't know. You don't mess with the Girl Scouts, bro. So, I mean, that's all I have. I, I don't. She didn't do it herself. No, I don't think she did either, but I think we beat this one to death. So, recommendation time. Oh, well, you go ahead. Well, I'm going to recommend that, and this is free, it don't cost you anything. And it's the holidays, and it will make your life a lot simpler if people will just mind their own damn business. (laughs) All right. And I mean to the point where this year's been screwed up enough from COVID, the China virus, but it's a holiday season. I know some of you have been cooped up with your family, and I know you're ready to commit some some heinous acts upon them, but (laughs) be thankful for what you got. Don't go out in public and look to start something with somebody. Everybody has a free will. (laughs) If you don't believe in... Uh, their opinions, then don't give their opinions any weight. Just fucking ignore them. All right, that's it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to recommend a YouTube page called The Lazy Masquerade. I've been, I've, I've uh, recommend them before, but he's just super good. I love his voice. And three hours ago, today is. Sunday, December 13th, three hours ago, he released a video about three disturbing and cryptic mysteries solved at last, and he's also including the Zodiac's 340 cipher that was recently cracked after... And that's so damn anticlimactic. one years. You know, they everybody hung their hat on the fact that if they could just break that cipher, it would lead them. That well, fucking thing didn't lead nowhere. He's got, there's more that they haven't I know broken. they haven't released it, but when they, they released what it, was, what they, it no, said... No, I'm saying they hadn't broken all of them. That's just one of them that they've broken. Yeah, it was kind of a letdown, but what was funny is, is when I posted it, in the comments, what he said, we had so many people with like, I thought that was y'all saying that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought you lost, I thought you, I thought the coach lost his damn mind. Like I should have said, for those of you who didn't want to read it, read the whole article, here's what he said, or yeah. watch the whole video. But I didn't. Coaches, we got the red string everywhere now. We got two <laughs> boards. We got the Zodiac, and then we got all our cases. Yeah, so. But yeah, man, that that was pretty neat. The fact that fifty one took them fifty one years to break that cipher, but they finally did it. Yep, I just I don't know, man. I think it gives you hope for everything. Well, even, gives you hope that perhaps that they're close to solving it. The just, Golden State Killer, I think, is the one that's recharged when they caught that son of a bitch. I think it's recharged a lot of these cold cases to where there's you're you're getting some fresher eyes on these cases and even some you know armchair sleuths out there i mean like those two guys i'm fairly sure that um 
Oh, I'm not fairly sure. I know he recently, well, he's confessed to like 93 killings now up to this point. Golden State. Yeah. I hope he I hope he dies in excruciating pain. Man, he's death. old as shit. He ain't got long. He's not I know, long but I hope world. like he, for some reason, God sees fit to like paralyze him from the neck down That's for it. at least like eight months. <laughs> I don't know why. And why not nine months? months, not seven, but God bless America. Eight. <laughs> <laughs> That'll show it. That'll show his crooked ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay I'm specific I, I want you to call down the thunder for eight months I'd go for a whole year man Why? If you, no 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 because we want eight okay all right eight months it is all right you got anything else here no, slap nut no I sure don't all right then ladies and gentlemen uh deuces <laughs>